conservative? You bet. Controversial? Right again. It's time to squabble on the Jim Benson Show. 27 Republican lawmakers have requested a special counsel to investigate the election. Texas Representative Lance Gooden, 26 other House Republicans have written a letter to President Trump requesting that he order the Attorney General, William Barr, to appoint a special counsel to investigate the fraud in the 2020 election. Now, my question would be, where are the other Republicans? 27 sounds like a big number, but where the heck are the others? Don't they realize what, if the Democrats are allowed to get away with stealing the White House, they're never going to stop stealing elections. What I don't understand what people think is going on here. This is not your average run-of-the-mill 50 years ago, the dead are voting, and that's why we lost an election. There is something far greater going on here, far more important going on here. And you know what? The American people, as always, are way ahead of the political class on it. I know I have, I have uh, lamented countless times. You've heard me say it. The political class, the elected political class of Republicans, the rhinos, the never-Trumpers, they don't think there's a crisis at all, folks. They don't think the country's in crisis. They didn't think that the attempt to get rid of Trump with a coup, a literal coup based on nothing, that entire made-up, out-of-nothing Russian collusion story, there's nothing to see here. There's no crisis. There's no, there, there, there's no danger. Meanwhile, their voters, the, um, the American people, think that there is a major threat, and they're right. And the threat is to the country at large and to our culture, to Western civilization, to the kind of country we're going to be. Are we going to continue to be the country of the founding or are the communists going to succeed? Make no mistake, the left, however you wish to define it, but they're not just the Democrats and they're not just a bunch of 60s hippies anymore. This has become a full-fledged battle between socialists and communists on one side and us on the other. That was the nation's number one radio talk show host, Rush Limbaugh, on his December 10 show. We'll have more to say about that in a few minutes. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Jim Benson Show, conservative talk radio covering the issues that concern you here on the BBS radio network. Limbaugh is just one of many people saying the same thing. Trump won the 2020 presidential election overwhelmingly. I'd say both the popular vote as well as the Electoral College. But the election was then stolen by the Democrats, who appear to have planned this for some time. On election night, as Trump was surging ahead in vote totals, the election system was flooded with huge numbers of unverified mail-in ballots, many of which were used illegally to flip key states for Joe Biden. Limbaugh was speaking in his usual polite and somewhat reserved manner about all this, I thought, but he does zero in on what's at stake, the fate of our republic and of Western civilization. The shocking thing for me is how many people must have been and are in on this coup to overthrow the duly elected constitutional government of the USA and the level of corruption involved throughout the government and our society. But then again, 
you have to keep in mind, as pro-Trump attorney Sidney Powell has observed, that there are trillions of dollars of wealth tied up with the communist with communist China and other parts of the world that stand to be at least somewhat diminished if Trump is reelected. Trump is being committed Trump being committed as he is to helping the struggling American middle class and preserving our rights and freedoms. And the people, the oligarchs, the globalists, the communists, many of them are very wealthy. I didn't realize this in the past that you can be a, a far left person, a, a radical, even a communist, and, and make millions of dollars under the powers that be, the establishment. One of my information sources is a great video podcast series called Open Source News, produced by a guy calling himself Black Conservative Patriot, or just BCP. He uh, doesn't give out his name, um, and for good reason, I imagine, because he, he almost certainly is a target of the left. On his show today, Sunday, December 13th, BCP, BCP refers to an interview on Fox & Friends yesterday, which I couldn't find immediately on the internet, in which a Florida congressman declared that America is flooded with Chinese communist money. As BCP points out, the staggering amount of money the Chinese communists have made from crony capitalism that benefits their party elites and their vast cheap labor pool is being used to influence every aspect of American society and culture and has corrupted a great deal of it. So now we have an explanation of why we are seeing so much complicity in this attempted coup against President, President Trump. <laughs> Let's hope it, it is an attempt and not a fait accompli. For example, if you're wondering why Georgia Governor Brian Kemp and Secretary of State Brad Raffs, Raffensperger, both nominally Republicans, have been seemingly so eager to help Democrats and hurt Trump and his Republican allies, Sidney Powell has alleged they were bribed with Chinese communist money. Now, <clears throat> that has to be verified. I don't know. But there's a common practice like the way Joe Biden has worked. You, you pay off their relatives. The relatives can then transfer the money to you, I guess. Uh, apparently it's legal but, uh, and widespread, but uh, still comes down to, to bribes. Anyway, she's alleged they were bribed to purchase their new $107 million Dominion voting system which we now know is owned by communist China, which Powell says switches votes from Biden, switched votes from Biden to Trump, among other things, that helps Democrats throw elections. <clears throat> Additionally, communist China is now also Georgia's biggest trading partner, accounting for some 15% of the state's exports. So you can see they've got their tentacles pretty well inside that state. These past few weeks have been a, a roller coaster of emotions as Supporters of President Trump have swung back and forth between elation and despair. We have seen our hopes and aspirations for what we believe would be a better life for ourselves and our descendants, the rest of the country, and ultimately the rest of the world as we see it, be dashed again and again as local, state, and national government bureaucrats and judges, big tech, the mainstream media, global, globalist business interests, and foreign governments – have colluded, conspired, or at the very least supported stealing the election for former U.S. Vice President Joe Biden. Biden and his family have received many millions of dollars from communist China and Russia and Ukrainian oligarchs, among others, among other entities, <clears throat> and they are characterized by the, their detractors as a crime family, as have been the Clintons. 
Joe Biden is clearly an agent of communist China, and his political agenda is the agenda of the communists, other socialists and totalitarians, in partnership with globalist oligarchs promoting world government, both here and abroad. This group of people are uniformly working to cover up the election steal, force Trump from office, and usher in a new political era for the people of this country. Now that all the information about the alleged corruption investigations of Joe Biden's son Hunter and brother James is suddenly coming out, Limbaugh and others have said that the left was always intending to use Joe Biden as a placeholder, then get him out of the way once he got elected, so they could then install the even more radical left-wing Vice President Kamala Harris as president. Either one leading the country would mean big trouble for America. And unfortunately, it's looking more and more like that's going to be the case here. Many of the people of this country are asleep to all this, however, despite what Limbaugh said. Yes, there are many millions of us who see what's happening and are very worried, but many others are not. They're not really willing or wanting to believe any of the grim realities unfolding before their eyes. But there are millions more of us in this country who are far more aware and watching anxiously as seemingly every effort to expose and combat the monstrous evil that's about to overtake us is thwarted, suppressed, or dismissed as the ravings of lunatic white right-wing conspiracy theorists. As of this broadcast, we are dangerously close to formally electing and installing in the White House a puppet of communist China who will vigorously pursue a communist agenda for the masses, though, of course, Biden would deny that. This agenda will include, if they are successful in overtaking in taking over the U.S. Senate with the runoff elections in Georgia coming up next month, eliminating the filibuster rule so a simple majority of the Senate can enact whatever legislation it wants, packing the U.S. Supreme Court with hardcore leftists who will, har- who will hand the powers that be anything they want, rendering the current majority of justices there irrelevant, and eventually abolishing our Constitution, replacing it with a host of totalitarian laws that will end freedom of speech, gun ownership, private property, and many other elements of the freedoms we have long enjoyed and taken for granted. All this probably wouldn't happen at once, but it's definitely on the horizon if the people get in charge, get in power who, uh, who the left is promoting – So many of us have been shocked to see the U.S. Supreme Court late last week refuse to consider the landmark case brought by the state of Texas and supported by 17 other states seeking to set aside the election results in the key battleground states of Pennsylvania, Michigan, Wisconsin, and Georgia, where the presidential election was allegedly, and I think there's a lot of evidence to prove it, conducted in blatant violation of election laws of those states as well as the U.S. Constitution. Much was, made, much was made by the pro-Trump, pro-Trump legal community of the Supreme Court's docketing Texas lawsuit and asking for legal briefs on the arguments from the defendants, with Trump lawyer Jordan Seculo going so far as calling the case the be-all and end-all of legal battles over the election. Everyone appeared to be taken by surprise when the high court almost immediately then dismissed the case, stating Texas did not have standing to bring its litigation. Everyone that is except former Harvard law professor and constitutional scholar Alan Dershowitz who called the De- Texas who called Texas's lawsuit creative, but predicted the high court would ultimately not take the case. And as it turned out, he was correct. I haven't seen any further analysis by him about this. So I'm looking forward to seeing it. <clears throat> it may be that the Supreme, Supreme Court was acting within its judicial limitations in dismissing the case. They did not rule on the merits. Of course, this is important because Texas's case 
was what's been talked about as the fundamental basis of the of the issues here by Trump's legal team and others supporting him. But it came as a great shock to many Trump supporters and left many of us thinking that we have very few, if any, real legal options left to prevent a literal communist takeover of the United States from happening. Still, it's important to remember the high court did not rule on the merits of the Texas lawsuit. The Supreme Court's dismissal of the Texas case happened late last week, and I, like I said, I haven't seen much, if any, response to it by legal scholars and observers yet. I have seen a few things uh, today. <clears throat> I'm sure there will be a lot of reaction and analysis in the coming days, but it does appear that pro-Biden electors are now going to be chosen and will expect to cast their votes to formally approve Joe Biden's election to the presidency on January 6th. Um, I may have that wrong. They, they may be voting sometime earlier, and then the I see. I'm not sure how this works exactly, but January 6 is a key date for him to be installed, and that is the date that uh, Trump's legal team says they still have time to to work for a resolution to their issues. Nevertheless, the legal battles initiated by Trump's legal team and allies are continuing. But as I said, many Trump supporters are wondering if there is much left to hope for in halting the pro-Biden forces from taking over the country January 20. Here's what I know of the most recent developments in the election. This is according to an article in the Epoch Times yesterday, December 12. Quote, President Donald Trump's legal team is planning on filing retooled lawsuits, his lawyer said Saturday. Quote, we move immediately, seamlessly to plan B, which is to bring lawsuits now in each one of the states. We had them ready. There's just a version of the one that was brought in the Supreme Court. So last night, the president made the decision, end quote, Rudy Giuliani said during an appearance and in war, on War Room Pandemic, War Room colon Pandemic. And the article goes on, Texas filed a lawsuit in the Supreme Court against Pennsylvania, Georgia, Wisconsin, and Michigan, alleging the elections there were run contrary to the Constitution. The nation's top court rejected the suit late Friday. Trump's team is going to file suits or has already filed in the four states as well as Arizona and Nevada. The suits will incorporate allegations in the complaint filed by Texas. Now, they quote Giuliani again as saying, if the state, if the state doesn't have standing, meaning Texas, surely the president of the United States has standing. And certainly the electors in the states have standing. So they will be bringing those very cases right in those courts starting today, Giuliani said, adding – and let's see what excuse they can try to avoid – try to use to avoid having a hearing on that, close quote. Now the article goes on. Courts have been using the matter of standing to dodge facing the facts, he alleged, adding, quote, nobody wants to face the reality that this election was stolen, close quote. Then another quote, this is outrageous what they're doing, Giuliani again. The American people should have the benefit of hearing these facts. The facts have been kept from them, he continued. Quote, not a single court case, not a single court decision has had a hearing yet. They haven't heard from a single witness. They haven't looked at a single tape. They haven't listened to a single recording. There are thousands of them. They haven't even bothered to look at the tape in Atlanta, Georgia, which is dispositive, meaning I believe it, it has an it have a decisive influence on the outcome of the court decision. And he continues, it shows an ongoing voter theft of 30,000 votes, enough to change the election. There he's referring to the now widely seen surveillance videotape of the 
voters in Georgia, the voting people in Georgia, vote, vote uh, election workers, counting votes. First, everybody gets cleared out of the place, and then they continue counting votes. The Epic Times goes on to state um, dozens of election-related lawsuits filed by Trump and others have been rejected in courts. Some were appealed. Other suits are still being decided. So if you've been following the election by now, you're probably aware of many of the anomalies of the voting in the battleground states, among them in Wisconsin, where some 60,000-plus mail-in ballots were supposedly counted that were not requested by voters as required by state law. Now, they had a hearing last Friday, and um, a Republican member of the State Election Commission, uh, I think his name is Dean Knudsen or something, uh, he said, oh, no, it's every, every vote was uh, matches uh, people in the system. He said, no, there was no nothing, nothing, nothing significant. In Pennsylvania, I, I didn't find more about this. What is? I need. I'd like to know more about the basis of where they get these. They, they're trying to dis, disqualify over two hundred thousand. The Trump team, two hundred thousand ballots in Wisconsin. But it just you get all these different things in the media, but it just doesn't. I don't get enough information to really clarify some of the things that have been proposed, but been been alleged here. But anyway, moving on. In Pennsylvania, I related last time. I think about my last show. That according to an article on the internet, um, which was supposedly based on election result analysis from the New York Times and the state's own election statistics, two days after the election on the 6th of November – let's see, 5th of November, about 9 o'clock, shortly after 9 o'clock, about some 90,000 mail-in ballots were suddenly entered the vote count with 95 percent of which for Joe Biden and the rest for, I think, a Green Party candidate. Two days – this is two days after the election, and the state's vote total count only showed an increase of 9,000 votes after that, indicating another 81,000 votes disappeared or were deleted. Many of you who have seen the surveillance video from Georgia, which we were just referring to, of poll watchers and media people all corralled way on the other side, opposite side of the room where ballots were being counted, so they couldn't see a thing really, suddenly clearing out because they said they were told by election workers the county was stopping for the night and to go home. Then you see the election workers begin pulling cases of ballots out from under a table and continue counting tens of thousands of ballots unobserved completely. Georgia election officials explain this as being nothing out of the ordinary and claim everyone else in the room suddenly decided on their own just to go home for the night. Right, right. This is from Brad Raffensperger's uh, investigator, apparently. And it goes on and on and on. In-person voters in Arizona were forced to use Sharpies to mark their ballots, which caused their marks to bleed through and make the ballots suspect. They were then told not to worry. These ballots would be checked later and their correct voting recorded. But when they when these voters later checked online, they saw that they were not recorded as having voted. Then there were stories of carloads of ballots suddenly appearing early in the morning in Detroit when Biden suddenly surged ahead in the vote count. And this same thing happened apparently in Milwaukee. <clears throat> and I think it was some. I read something where the some of the Milwaukee Journal, some said, oh, "There's nothing. They just they just happened to be sending it through at that time." You know, <laughs> even this guy Newtson from the Wisconsin Election Commission said it it, it, it looked strange. Although he was saying, eh, "No big deal. It's right, but uh, we shouldn't have done it that way." People uh, are suspicious then. Yeah, no kidding. I don't know. It's just <clears throat> then there are uh, there are tens of thousands of people who. Solely voted twice or voted while residing in another state. These are the these are the allegations from the Trump team. I I have not seen more on it, but they, they haven't been able to get out and, and look and, and, and do more investigation, get these things out before the public. 
because no court has been really willing to go forward. There have been a few limited hearings. Um, anyway, the reports uh, – there are widely reports – we have the widely mentioned reports of Dominion voting machines flipping votes to, from Trump to Biden and doing other things. Now, according to an information I saw on the internet, Dominion voting systems was paid some almost $120 million uh, over the last few years to provide election services during the past three years according to public records. And their revenues came from 19 states and 133 local government – Governments, including counties, cities, and even a couple of school districts. <clears throat> These the voting machines are used – I believe they're used in all of the key battleground states, uh, and they're used in, in half of the states uh, for elections. We now know that UBS Securities Limited, a company largely owned by communist China, recently, not long before the election, paid some $400 million to purchase Dominion, whose smart tech, Smartmatic software was reportedly developed by Venezuelans close to former communist dictator Hugo Chavez and current dictator Nicolas Maduro, and which was designed to throw elections and can be easily hacked for that purpose. And there have been a number of videos that have come out. I just saw one the other day for, from, from, I believe, an election supervisor in Georgia showing how you could change votes at will and do all kinds of things with this system. Let's listen to just a few observations, a few observers about all this fraud being alleged. To begin with, here's Fox News' Judge Janine Pirro on December 5th. Uh, her show, Justice with Judge Pirro or Judge Janine, was suddenly canceled by Fox, and then it's now been apparently resurrected, thank God. It's a very good show. But um, anyway, uh, she's criticizing U.S. Attorney General Bill Barr, seeming reluctant to investigate the, all the reports of fraud. Uh, we have to wonder, is he hiding something? Uh, because he had said earlier that uh, we haven't seen anything but would make a difference in the election, you know. I'm thinking, what? Well, anyway, uh, please play soundbite two. When 100 million people vote before an election, and a huge portion are mail-in ballots, extraordinary regulatory oversight is required. When election laws are changed for a presidential election, on the eve of that election, in violation of the Constitution, Extraordinary regulatory oversight is required. Extraordinary times call for extraordinary measures and leaders. Unfortunately, the Attorney General Bill Barr has proven himself to be anything other than extraordinary. This week, Barr commented that he has not seen fraud on a scale that could have affected a different outcome in the election. Really? It's curious Barr, the head of the DOJ, would affirmatively make a statement regarding a pending investigation. As a former prosecutor for over three decades, I, and virtually everyone similarly situated, know that DOJ guidelines do not allow comment on investigations. They neither confirm nor deny the existence of any investigation, yet Barr actually goes beyond that and takes it upon himself in the midst of a presidential election before some states have certified as affidavits elected uh, alleging fraud continue to come in before electors have even voted that there is not sufficient evidence. So why would Barr do that? Why would he not continue an investigation as the evidence continues to come in? Why would he even share information on a pending investigation? It's just not done. Now, before you made that blanket, conclusory statement, did you determine the answer, Bill, to these allegations? 
On election night, with the president comfortably ahead in many swing states, why was the counting stopped? Why were observers not permitted to reasonably observe ballot counting? Why were observers removed from counting areas? Why did counters cheer when Republican observers were removed? Why were windows boarded up in Detroit so that observers could not observe? Why, when observers were allowed to re-enter, was there an unusually large number of ballots with an unusually high percentage of 90 and above for Joe Biden? And why was there a failure to match signatures on mail-in ballots? Why was there a destruction of mail-in ballot envelopes which must contain signatures? Why does a voter integrity project in Georgia estimate that over 20,000 people who no longer meet residency requirements were casting ballots in Georgia? Where Biden's margin is only 12,000 votes. Why are there statistical anomalies in the chain of custody breakdowns? Why are there record numbers of dead people voting? How is it that ballots in pristine condition without creases, suggesting they had not been in mail-in envelopes as required by law. Why is Joe Biden the first candidate to lose Florida and Ohio and still become president? Might it be that Florida and Ohio have safeguards in place which the other states do not? Why are 18 of the 19 bellwether counties historically indicative of a presidential win won by Trump and not Biden? How is it that Biden underperformed Clinton in New York, Chicago, and L.A., but won in the swing state cities of Milwaukee, Atlanta, Detroit, and Philadelphia, each known historically for voter corruption? How is it that Joe Biden underperformed with African-American voters everywhere but in those swing states? Why were ballot watchers in Pennsylvania not allowed to meaningfully observe to the point where they had to get a court order, and yet when they got one, they still were not allowed to observe? How is it that the New York Times and Jimmy Carter and James Baker and all agree that absentee ballots are the largest source of fraud, allowing for changing of votes, but now are suddenly secure? Bill, did you really have an answer to all those questions before you made your premature comment? Have your U.S. attorneys even finished their investigations? Now, you know, many were impressed with you, Bill, because you were unflappable and you said all the right things, but you haven't done anything that makes you any different from your predecessor, the one who spent two years hiding under his desk, Jeff Sessions. Now let's listen to Patrick Basham, former, I believe that's how it's pronounced, Basham, founding director of the Democracy Institute and a pollster, I believe, on Fox's Life, Liberty, and Levin show with Mark Levin on December 6th. Uh, this is following the uh, article that Basham uh, wrote uh, somewhere else on the Internet that appears somewhere else on uh, what he called the deeply puzzling, puzzling, the deeply puzzling 2020 presidential election. Play soundbite three, please. Our first guest wrote an incredibly powerful piece in The Spectator called Reasons Why the 2020 Presidential Election is Deeply Puzzling. His name is Patrick Basham. He is the director of the Democracy Institute, which is a wonderful group, and a professional pollster. And Patrick, it's a pleasure to have you. I would like you to walk through these, these issues that you found to be 
deeply puzzling. Go right ahead. Absolutely. Um, I approached the article. Uh, we, none of us are objective, but we all try to be. We, we hope we, we are at least independent minded. And so how would an independent minded person assess uh, the quote unquote outcome as the media has uh, designated it of the 2020 presidential election? And I looked at three aspects. I, first of all, I looked at the quasi results. And if you look at the results, you see how Donald Trump improved his performance, national performance over 2016 by almost 20 percent. Uh, no incumbent has, uh, president has ever lost a reelection bid if he's increased his votes. Obama went down by three and a half million votes between 20, 2008 and 2012, but still won comfortably. Um, if you look at those results, you see that Donald Trump did uh, very well, even better than four years earlier with the white working class. Uh, he held his own with women and suburban voters against all of most of the polling expectations. He did very well with Catholics. He improved his vote amongst Jewish voters. He had the best minority performance for a Republican since Richard Nixon in 1960. Uh, doing so well with African-Americans and, importantly, with Hispanics. So I sort of suggest this thought experiment. I think if you one took 100 uh, well-informed about the American political scene, 100 observers who were sequestered for the, uh, for the actual election night and since, and you gave them the vote breakdown by demographic group, and you saw where Biden and Trump did well or did poorly, you laid out all those numbers, but you omitted the one fact, or so I say the one assertion, that Biden had won the national popular vote in there and, and consequently in the respective swing states was going to be the next president. And you gave them all the demographic data, all the exit poll data, and you asked them, so who do you think won the election? My suggestion to your viewers is that 99 at least out of those 100 independent, well-informed observers would say, well, obviously Trump, right? So we, we know from the vote itself uh, well, the, the alleged vote, the alleged result, that it is something very strange has happened because the numbers just don't add up. They don't measure up to our polling that was conducted right up to the election and the likes of uh, Richard Barris or the Trafalgar Group. The polls that were uh, the most accurate by some distance, everything suddenly went very strange in the middle of the night. Now, that could happen. It's just very, very unusual. And if this was an exceptional election, as some people assert, and that's why the numbers seem strange, then you would ex expect it to be have a uniformity to that exceptionalism. So Joe Biden uh, would have increased his support, not just in key precincts, in key cities, in key swing states and nowhere else, but he would have had a sort of uniform victory. He was the challenger. He has apparently, allegedly received more votes than any candidate for president in American history. And yet he has done very, very poorly in most of the country, except where it absolutely mattered. Another way of looking at this is to look at what I call the non-polling metrics, the things like uh, party registration trends, how the candidates did in their respective presidential primaries, uh, in the number of individual donations, uh, how much enthusiasm each candidate generated in the opinion polls. There are sort of a dozen or more of these metrics. Now, these metrics have a 100 percent accuracy rate in terms of predicting the winner of the presidential election. Some of them are more recent, like Google searches. Others, obviously, like registration trends, are, are, have far more history behind them. In 2016, they all indicated strongly that Donald Trump would win against most of the public polling. That was again the case in 2020. So if we are to accept that 
Biden won against the trend of all these non-polling metrics, it not only means that one of these metrics was inaccurate this time for the first time ever, it means that each one of these metrics was wrong for the first time and at the same time as all of the others. It is not statistically impossible, but it's statistically implausible. Another way of looking at what happened is to look at how the vote was, the vote ballots were accumulated and how they were tabulated and counted on election night and obviously since then. In fact, in places like California, they are still counting. And what you see there is a, a ridiculous, bizarre number of anomalies. Uh, some of them are statistical. Some of them are procedural. You have, for example, a historically low ballot rejection rate for absentee and mail-in ballots. Uh, rejection rates, which in the primaries earlier this year were well into the double digits and which historically have often been very, very high. In these key swing states, or at least in the key swing counties, we're seeing rejection rates of less than 1%, often very close to, to zero. Now, given the increase in absentee balloting and the lack of experience that most of the new ballot, new voters and those doing the counting would have with those ballots, it is implausible, to put it politely, that that figure would be as low as it was. And of course, the reason there's so few of these ballots rejected was because the Democrats had pushed for and got legally or illegally, I think for the most case it was most part it was illegal, uh, to not check signatures, which is absolute madness. It's just inviting massive fraud. But that was the purpose of it and that's what they did. They so that they could throw all these ballots in themselves, make make them up for Joe, as you heard about hundreds of thousands of ballots being counted that only had Joe Biden marked on it. They didn't have time to mark the rest. The story is when they started seeing that Trump's totals were so high and they weren't able to throw the election through the algorithms on the voting machines. And, of course, this is all allegations at this point, but there is some some evidence to support it um, because the voting machines were not supposed to skew the vote counts too much. Otherwise, it would be too, become suspicious. Then they had to throw in all these absentee ballots. These Well, we, I'm using interchange with the word absentee and mail-in. The mail-in ballots are the ones they push for. Absentee ballots, if you're registered and you request one and you're checked, it's checked. It's usually not a problem with those, although they can be at times. But uh, in any event, that's what he's talking about. Almost none of these were rejected. You should also know that uh, most of these mainstream media polls and uh, the, these leading polling uh, outfits uh, predicting a Biden landslide were, were obviously rigged and serve as propaganda for the political left to discourage voting for Trump and encourage voting for Biden. But you get the message here. Despite the predictions of these rigged polls of the left, other historically reliable indicators showed a big Trump win. And virtually all of these longstanding accurate metrics of election outcomes were wrong according to the bizarre outcome of the 2020 presidential race. Getting back to allegations of the Dominion voting machines and software <clears throat> being hacked and millions of votes switched from Trump to Biden or Trump votes deleted and Biden votes created, so on. Here's political commentator Dick Morris on his website on December 3 talking about Dominion. Uh, play soundbite four, please. Suspiciously, the company that owns Dominion software, 
the company that serviced the Georgia voting machines and vote tabulating machines and may well have rigged them to prevent Trump from winning. That company received a payment of $200 million from a company run by the Chinese government four weeks before the election. The company that made the payment is UBS Securities, a Swiss bank that has close links to the Chinese government. UBS Securities owns 25% of another company called UBS Securities Limited, and the other 75% of that company is owned directly by the Chinese government. That $200 million payment on October of 2020 is in addition to a previous $200 million payment made in 2014. In addition, a digital forensic analysis by a former military intelligence officer claims to present, quote, unambiguous evidence that Dominion voting servers were accessible to and were, quote, certainly compromised by rogue actors such as Iran and China. The Dominion software was accessed by agents acting on behalf of China and Iran in order to monitor and manipulate elections, including the most recent U.S. general election in 2020. This analyst scanned Dominion's network nodes and found a number of interrelationship with foreign entities, including access to Dominion's server by a network from Hunan, China. And, coincidence of coincidences, turns out that the manager of core infrastructure information technology at Dominion Voting Systems, a guy named Anthony Wang, previously worked at China Telecom, a company that has been identified as wholly run by the Chinese government and has been named by the U.S. Department of Defense as having collaborated with that country's military for over two decades. Wang worked at China Telecom from 1998 to 2002 and then went to work for Dominion. It's absolutely vital that the U.S. Senate investigate this and expose this relationship. You know, Mueller spent two years trying to show that there was collaboration between Trump and Russia and turned out to be totally bogus. But this is not bogus. This is a deliberate effort by China to influence and determine the outcome of the U.S. election, not of what Russia supposedly did buying some social media ads, but literally hacking the voting system and manipulating the tabulation. And this, of course, makes sense, given the fact that China paid the Biden family hundreds of millions of dollars over the years, uh, and that Trump imposed sanctions on trade and other things on China and has been very tough to them. So let's follow this story and let's make sure the Senate investigates it. Now, Dick Morris on his website, dickmorris.com, yesterday speculated that the three supposedly conservative Supreme Court justices nominated by Trump and approved by the Senate, who sided with the other four justices, uh, that would be Chief Justice Roberts, who now votes a lot against Trump, and these three leftists of the nine, the seven of the nine, uh, to reject the Texas lawsuit, did so because they were intimidated by Biden and Harris threatening to pack the Supreme Court with leftists. But I hope he's wrong about that. That would be incredibly foolish and stupid on their part because packing the Supreme Court with leftists is exactly what Biden and Harris will do if they're able to. I have to disagree with Morris on this idea, and I surely hope he's wrong about it. We, at some point, hopefully very shortly, are going to see if the Supreme Court will, at least a majority of them, will vote to take up these cases now being brought by Trump and supposedly the electors, some of the electors, these states, these battleground states, 
because if they don't, then basically our own our highest court and all the most of the lower ones uh, are turning against us on this, and we really won't have any any legal options there. And with all of this, we're being told by Biden and his backers and handlers that the election is over. It's too late to bring up any more about election irregularities and anomalies and that it's time to unit for time for unity, meaning in reality, shut up and obey or shut up and move on, as Fox's Steve Hilton pointed out recently in one of his programs. Sure, just like the left shut up and moved on uniting with Trump supporters after the 2016 election. Hilton relates. <laughs> As I've been watching and listening to alternative media for election information, I've found some really good information from a number of independent content content producers out there on the internet, including such programs as Zooming In with Simone Gao, Beyond the Noise with David Zhang, Open Source News, as I mentioned earlier, uh, with the Black Conservative Patriot. Eye Opener with Michael Lewis. Now, this is there's two Eye Opener programs on YouTube uh, and two Michael Lewis's. Uh, this is Michael Lewis, the conservative commentator. Uh, and there's another one called Front Page with Scott Goulet. Um, and I just recently saw another one, which I thought was very good. Um, let me see if I can recall it here. Um, Yes, uh, I think it was. It's called Wide Angle with Brendan Fallon. All of these are uh, podcasts, video podcasts that come up on, uh, if they call them podcasts, like video uh, programs. Uh, they come up on uh, YouTube. To their credit, YouTube has been allowing these, although they're, they're cracking down currently uh, because they say the election has reached that point where we can't talk anymore about voter fraud, which is nonsense. But uh, And some of these are continuing to do so. They are allowing the networks to continue to talk about voter fraud on their broadcasts. But um, – in any event, um, getting back to this, um, I wanted to end up today's program with a uh, recent front page show uh, with Scott Galay subtitled, Who Has the Courage to Do What's Right? This was aired before this, right before the Supreme Court rejected Texas's lawsuit against Pennsylvania, Georgia, Michigan, and Wisconsin. And it contains, I believe, a historical misstatement, a fact at one point. I'll go into that one after, the, after, the, after, the sh- after we listen to it. But it does include a discussion of what might occur if not enough Americans will step up and do their duty as related to the stolen election. Uh, besides the courts, we have the option of the legislatures stepping in and appointing their own electors. But again, uh, they seem to be reluctant to do that at this point, uh, a lot of them anyway. Uh, and in this in this broadcast, Goulet is referring to a um, uh, this uh, there's a, a a Tea Party organization and also a another group um, they a group that ran a, an ad uh, in uh, in uh, the Washington Times recently uh, relating referring to what's happening now is similar to what happened uh, during the Civil American Civil War when President Lincoln declared martial law and had a number of people elect, arrested including newspaper editors and uh, even the Supreme Court Chief Justice. Um, I don't know how far you can carry that analogy, but it's still pretty interesting. Let's listen and see what he has to say here. Play soundbite five, please. President Trump asks, who has the courage to do what's right? So do nine Supreme Court justices have the ability to uphold justice, and do they have the impartiality needed in this multiple state lawsuit against four swing states. 
On December 8th, at the White House, President Trump called on Republican-led state legislatures and the conservative-majority Supreme Court to have the courage to do the right thing. President Trump said, Now let's see whether or not somebody has the courage, whether it's a legislator or legislatures, or whether it is a justice of the Supreme Court or a number of justices of the Supreme Court. Let's see if they have the courage to do what everybody in this country knows is right. Trump's words reveal his concern that it takes courage to do what is just and what is right. It takes courage to face all kinds of threats, even death threats. Because the leftists of the Democratic Party have employed all kinds of dirty tricks to get what they want. Detroit's Fox 2 reported that at least one explosive, a bomb, was thrown at the home of a man in Michigan on December 5th. The man said it was probably because he was a big fan of President Trump. The man was in his bedroom with his girlfriend at the time of the explosion. The explosion left drywall blown out, shattered glass, and even cracks in the ceiling. Surveillance footage shows two men throwing two explosives at his home. In addition, many of President Trump's supporters, including their family members, had been threatened in various ways. Some of these threats include exposing their children's schools, names, and even outright death threats. So it takes courage for people to stand up for what's right. That's why people are concerned about whether the Supreme Court justices will be able to reach the verdict impartially. So, will the people rise up against it? Of course, if Trump eventually wins, all those involved in the coup and threatening others may have to be brought to justice. If justice is not done, if Biden is elected, then there will be a constitutional crisis in the U.S. The U.S. will move towards socialism, communism, and people will lose their freedom forever. Of course, there could be another situation in which the American people would rise up to defend the Constitution. As you know, the United States has a population of 330 million who own 400 million guns. In the last month in particular, many people have been buying guns. These guns are used for self-protection, but it also shows that Americans feel threatened. Earlier this month, the We the People convention called for President Trump to immediately declare a limited form of martial law and temporarily suspend the Constitution and for civilians to take control of these federal elections for the sole purpose of having the military oversee a revote. The leader of the Tea Party, Thomas R. Zawostowski, suggested that President Trump should impose martial law and have a clean and safe re-election under military supervision with one person, one vote. He said that elections were the foundation of the United States and that if elections could not be guaranteed to be fair, we will not stand for it. Zawostowski cited the example of President Lincoln, who used his constitutional power to start the Civil War. In Zostowski's view, the United States is now in the darkest period of its history, and the crisis is even worse than that of Lincoln. In 1863, President Lincoln shut down hundreds of newspapers and arrested their owners and editors. Let me repeat that. In 1863, President Lincoln shut down hundreds of newspapers and arrested their owners and editors. Members of Congress were imprisoned for dissent. Chief Justice of the U.S., Roger Taney, ruled that Lincoln had violated the U.S. Constitution. Lincoln also ordered his arrest. 
As a result of these actions, President Lincoln mobilized the military and started the Civil War, which made him a very great president of the United States. After the article was published, it was widely spread on social media. The reason why it was widespread is that people shared his points, and they want President Trump to take extraordinary measures to resolve the election coup. In our impression of President Trump, he appears to be tough and would not back down from evil. He has also said that he would not accept an unfair election result. But being tough does not mean that he is belligerent, as we can see from his handling of international issues. If President Trump is not a belligerent person, will American people accept an unfair verdict? It's hard to say. Radio France Internationale published an article titled, Is the United States Headed for Civil War? It states that the only choice for Americans is to take up the power of the Second Amendment to the U.S. Constitution to seek justice for themselves. In that case, a massive riot could break out in the United States at any time. The article also states that the U.S. presidential election is not over yet. The general election will not have its result until all legal ballots are counted, illegal ballots are purged, and the Dominion system is confirmed to be fraudulent. At this moment, it is the most risky period for possible riots. The last hope to avoid such riots will be in the Supreme Court of the United States. The article points out that Americans have not lost faith in the Supreme Court and that only the Supreme Court can make those American voters put down the guns that they are holding in their hands and accept the final verdict of the law. These states here that President Lincoln did these things uh, in 1863 and, quote, started the Civil War. He said early he started the Civil War using his powers. Uh, Civil War was from 1861 to 1865, so this was obviously in the middle of the Civil War when he did these things. As I understand it, I'm not a historic historian here, but uh, I need to go back and review that. But uh, I, I'm not sure what Scott Goulet meant to say here. People often, including me, of course, uh, uh, incorrectly state things at times. As you know, we we just had a a few glitches in the last things where we lost a few seconds of audio due to technical problems. Uh, but um, in any event, the, the other points he makes, uh, at least were concerning. Um, Trump's supporters are not engaging in rioting or insurrection. No one uh, I know of really wants to see a revolution or a civil war break out. Uh, and yes, we really do want to believe that if it comes down to it, the Supreme Court justices will have the courage to do what's right. But we are at a crossroads currently in our nation's history, and events of the coming days and weeks will decide whether we're able to preserve our union, our republic, or we'll be plunged into a new and uncertain communist, other socialist, globalist political order. That might not happen immediately, but it's clearly the goal. Let's hope and pray that enough of the people in positions of power will have the courage to step up do their duty, and do what's right. That's it for our show today. Thanks for listening. Look for us two weeks from today in the same time slot, and have a good evening.